Monday, the 7th of August, and welcome. It is so good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me once again on the Plus. And I have to begin before we dive into a, a sliver of sports with just gratitude. An awful lot of gratitude and thanks to all of you. You know, I, I know that I project an awful lot of self-confidence, but when you venture out on your own, in any walk of life, not just broadcasting, but in anything, when you go into business kind of for yourself, doubt can't help seep in, even to the most confident person in the world. Doubt is something that you deal with. There is no longer any doubt in my mind that we are not just building something. We're building something special over here, and that's because of the reaction and the love that was reflected back to me from all of you. And I basically see every single name in the chat this morning, and it was almost 100% perfect attendance, and those who could not make it all had very good excuses. Like, I live in another state. I'm from Florida. I'm from somewhere else. I couldn't just get there. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making Plus Mania so special for me, for Jillian, for my mom. Jack and Ozzy had a great time. My boys ran around a bar like it was their own romper room for a few hours there. And it was, it was just great. It was just great. You all seriously touched my heart. And I thank you so much for just being a, a part of this. It, it is, it's a humbling totally gratifying experience a huge thanks to victory hall uh wayland who was the guy who set basically the whole thing up did an incredible job making us all feel so wonderfully welcome and i want to thank him i want to thank my boys ike from of course ike sandwiches and let me tell you Go get yourself an Ike sandwich as soon as you can to thank him for showing up in person. He flew in for the event just to be with me. That's how much my boys got my back. Thanks to Charles from Blackened Whiskey for being there as well. And uh, I, I would have told you that my friends from Uncle Boys would have all been there with their families, but they had planned a family vacation long ahead of us planning Plus Mania 1. So then fortunately they couldn't attend us. Maybe they'll be... Um, you know, when we all get together somewhere else. As a matter of fact, I know that they'll be there when that happens. But thanks so much to all of you, to all of my sponsors. Again, Ike, thank you so, so much for everything you've done for me, my family, the audience. I see that you're already in there. Uh, thanks again to Blackened Whiskey for showing up and, and getting us all a little tipsy and throwing some good swag at everyone on the way out the door. And of course, Uncle Boys, you weren't there on Saturday, but there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to be there the next time and anytime you're in the inner richmond and you want a cheeseburger go get yourself an uncle boys uh thank you for making us all feel so special it was it was wonderful i deeply deeply thank you all uh it's game week for the 49ers what a weekend we just had by the way what a week is in front of us in sports i mean we got some big things going on preseason game one in vegas on sunday for the 49ers there's going to be joint practices between the raiders and the 49ers in the preceding days leading up to the game. And that means Jimmy Garoppolo throwing against the 49ers first team defense. I can already hear the glee of Fred Warner picking off Jimmy Garoppolo, which is something he used to do when Jimmy was wearing 49ers colors. So this is going to be uh, a heck of a week for the 49ers to really start gearing up for the regular season. They're going to have Jimmy out there as that extra motivation. I'm sure Jimmy's going to see the 49ers uniforms and feel quite motivated himself. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to say the least quarterback snap counts are obviously going to be very interesting to watch. Um, you know, does Brock Purdy even get put in there since he is the, you know, anointed starter? Is this going to be Darnold, Lance, Lance, Darnold? I mean, I, I know that there's going to be breathless reaction from a lot of people watching all of this. And I can tell you that, again, it's the preseason, so it doesn't really matter. But it matters more than training camp. On the scale, it doesn't matter. Here's training camp not mattering. Here's preseason football not mattering. Here's everyone not getting injured mattering more than anything. And then we get to the regular season where all of a sudden everything matters more than everything. Oh, my God. Oh, everything matters, and I can't wait to get to actual regular season football. we got a little preseason to go through. It does begin in earnest Sunday in Vegas, and who knows? Maybe your boy will catch a flight out there and uh, bring the Plus 
uh, right to Las Vegas. We will find out. Stay tuned. Things are happening. Um, where is Nick Bosa? That's my really only question for the 49ers this week. That's it. Where is Nick Bosa? He is still not on property. Uh, make it happen this week, 49ers, because if you don't, all of a sudden, the there's nothing to see here aspect of the Nick Bosa holdout becomes something to see here. Does it not? You know, you can't bring him in, you know, whenever you want. You got to get him in there and incentivize to get him in there. And the incentive should be simple. Again, get it done. This should not be a hard contract to figure out. He's the top defender in all of football based on age, impact, and ability. And this is just not a guy you mess with. It sends a wrong message to Team Bosa. I think it sends a wrong message to the 49ers in their own locker room. Uh, you want this guy in. You know, this is this will be much ado about nothing as soon as he's there. But if it's not done in the next week to 10 days, there's something going on. What is going on with the Nick Bosa situation? So just something to keep an eye on. Are we hitting any panic buttons or anything right now? The answer is no. But, you know, if you asked me, so how did Nick Bosa get hurt in the first season uh, in, in the first month of the season, uh, I would suggest if that were to happen, maybe not enough training camp reps could absolutely be part and parcel of that problem should that problem arise. Iron sharpens iron. You need to develop the callus on your body for the regular season, and you cannot do that without full impact, real live football, getting you ready for full impact, real live football. As 0% body fat as Nick Bosa exists in. I mean, I don't think this guy has a cheat meal any day of the week, any month of the year. He is committed to being in incredible shape, but no matter how great shape you are in, it doesn't necessarily get you in shape for the brutal punishment your body takes. Punishment helps prevent future punishment. So a little training camp punishment, I think, is a good thing. And uh, Nick Bosa is not just the Incredible Hulk. He can't just go from Bruce Banner to the big green monster anytime he wants. He's got to ramp it up. And you ramp things up, obviously, in training camp. The 49ers should forfeit a game against the Raiders. Well, that's that's going a bit far, I guess. But but who cares about getting the rate? Here's the thing. There's nothing that can happen as long as there are no injuries in Las Vegas this weekend that'll mean more than just getting Nick Bosa in there. He's the best player on the team, not named Christian McCaffrey. And he's the least replaceable player on the team, and I think that includes everybody. I mean, really includes everybody, quarterbacks, Christian McCaffrey, the backup, the difference between Nick Bosa and his backup, that is as, about as big of a gap as you're going to find anywhere on this roster. And the team's got an incredible defensive line, but for you know the signings of your new D-tackle, Hargrave to work out, for everyone to get back into the swing of things, you want your best player on the field to help everyone see how you swing things. So let's get that done. 49ers, come on. Get it done. Um, the Giants will work a little local, and then we'll go national, even international. Um, the Giants dropped two games in Oakland. Congratulations to the A's. That is their World Series. That is the moment of the entire year. That'll be the best moment of the entire year. You, br you, you drop your Bay Bridge rivals in front of two of the biggest crowds you're going to have remaining all season long at the Coliseum. A lot of people came out. Those cell chants were fantastic. Um, I saw that on the replay where they always shrink a couple of innings to get a replay in, in a timely manner, they actually cut out the sell the team chance on NBC, California sports, Bay area, CSN, whatever the hell it is. Um, cowardly you don't cut that moment out of the game that moment means more to the a's than any moment any victory could possibly mean so that was a terrible edit to make and you can't help but think that's intentional um meanwhile the giants dropping two games in oakland that is 
There's there's no glory to be found there. I mean, without Ramon Laureano, who got DFA'd, that is not that's not even a pretend major league roster. The Giants just lost to a, a pretending to be pretending to be major league roster. The A's are awful, and the Giants just dropped two games, and they didn't look good doing it. And their offensive funk is real, and it is happening, and it, it ain't good. And coming up next, it's three days against the single greatest living athlete on the planet, Shohei Otani. Uh, we got ourselves a very interesting few nights of baseball coming up, including Otani taking the mound, I believe, on Wednesday. It's going to be Logan Webb against Patrick Sandoval opening up this series in Anaheim tonight, but dropping two games in a row and getting a makeout session arranged with Broom Hilda was not something I expected the, the Giants to fall into this past weekend. And if you're a Giants fan, you know, what can I tell you? Um, this is... This is you're coming out of a month where you were struggling offensively and you're going into another month where you're struggling even more. You know, the Giants win before they even got to Oakland against Arizona. What was that? One run on two hits, one run on a single digit hit total. That is happening far too often. Happening far too often for a team that is, you know, even though not sexy, good. The Giants are good. Even if you were angry at the Giants, you'd have to at least admit they're good. But there is no potential for greatness if they continue to play like this. And when they had a chance at the deadline to maybe go from good to better, they chose not to. Interesting choice. You know, the time to go for it. There were a lot of indicators that it was right about now time. Now, I'm not saying you give up the farm and sell out as if 2023 is the only year you're going to be winning a championship anytime soon. Uh, I'm not saying go overboard, but doing a little bit more than adding A.J. Pollock, who has yet to record a hit since being traded for, could have done that. And again, the youth movement that was so important, and, you know, it still will be. Like, I like Casey Schmidt, but Casey Schmidt today is a minor leaguer after going the month of July hitting 105. He was terrible at the plate. Totally, totally being eaten alive by major league pitching. Um, again, A.J. Pollock, he's appeared in three games. He doesn't have a hit in a Giants uniform yet. The next time he even sees first base will be the first time in a Giants uniform. I don't believe he's drawn a walk I don't think he's been down to first base yet. Brandon Crawford went from a couple of decent games to being a living, breathing, automatic out once again. I couldn't believe they didn't pinch hit for him for the final out of of Sunday's game. I mean, well, there he is. You you know, it's it's a it's a two run game. You get Brandon Crawford aboard. Then you bring up, what was it, uh, Sable or who was hitting behind? I don't even, it doesn't, doesn't even matter. The whole point is get Brandon Crawford in the middle of an 0 for 4 off the field when you're down to a final out. And you do, who cares about his glove at shortstop, which is all he is at this particular time. He can't hit his way out of a beauty parlor, that glorious hair of his. So, you know, should have done something there. Andrew Baggerly was writing about what's going on with the Giants in the Athletic, and he says, glance at their month-to-month slugging percentages. You can almost hear the air hissing out of the balloon. They went from 437 to 402 to 395 to 343. It isn't all a function of rookies getting overexposed. Schmidt going stone cold or Matos, uh, Matos struggling to make ringing contact. Like it's the hitters that are expected to fill out the middle of the lineup have had too many empty nights at the plate. Who would have thought that, you know, come August, Jock Peterson would have the same number of home runs as Blake Sable. Well, count me in as one of those guys. I've been saying Jock Peterson is an illusion more than he is a reality of a good baseball player. And again, could have maybe flipped him for a pitcher that would have helped you out or someone who would provide a little bit more contact and tic-tac-toe baseball, but that didn't happen. So here's your good news. Tyro Estrada's back. That's where the good news ends. So Estrada, it's up to you to carry this team to the finish line. What can I tell I mean, seriously, what the hell is going on? The Giants had a chance to do a little something, and they chose to do less than something. They got worse at the trade deadline. 
They acquired a player and got worse. They traded for, they acquired the worst hitter in a clubhouse full of guys who ain't hitting. A.J. Pollock, I'm looking at you. The most frustrating thing, again, is that they're good. They're just not good enough. And when offered the chance to just get a little bit better, they didn't. They got worse. Uh, happy anniversary, Giants fans, to those who observe, which if you're a Giants fan, on August 7th, 2007, do you know what you observed? You observed Barry Bonds hitting his 756th career home run, passing Hank Aaron as the all-time leader in Major League home runs. That was 16 years ago. 16 years ago today, August 7th. Not there yet. But man, that's unbelievable. 16 years went by fast, didn't it? It's one of the most remarkable nights I'll ever have covering sports with my own two eyes in my life. I remember all the anxiety, all the pressure that was on Bonds, all the pressure that was just around the team, all the pressure that was on the media that had been following him since Los Angeles, waiting for these historic home runs, which of course came with as much controversy attached to it as humanly possible at the time. You look back at it all right now, and it's like, who who cares? Who <laughs> I mean, um. What that was incredible though. 16 years ago. It does feel like it was just yesterday in some realm of my mind, in other realms of my mind. It feels feels like a long time ago. I see so many familiar faces again in the chat. Thank you for coming to Plus Mania One. I totally appreciate you being there. And all I'm gonna tell you is that among the things in sports I won't be forgetting is every single person who showed up. I've been doing station events at different stations in different markets for the better part of 20, 30 years, and I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't necessarily seen one show get supported by that many people ever, anywhere I've ever been, ever worked. Um, it meant an awful lot. And I'm, I'm thrilled that you got to meet the Duchess and Jillian and my in-laws and my kids. I mean, the whole family was there. And it felt like the family extended beyond the biological family to all of you. And if that's a little sugary and sappy, I don't care. That's the way it really felt. Thanks to all of you, again, for the love that you reflected back to me, to the Plus at Victory Hall this past Saturday. It meant an awful, awful lot. And let's face it, if you are a, a fan of college sports this past Saturday, you, you needed a drink. I think everyone involved in college sports needs a drink. It's unbelievable what has really happened to the landscape of college sports. You can look at it through the prism of the Pac-12, and you could go on for hours and hours and hours of that alone. You can go through what the Big Ten has done, what the Big 12 has done. It's 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 a staggering moment in time that will absolutely, for all the short-term financial game, lead to, I think, long-term damage. You know, long-term damage that's going to be impossible to really calculate until it's happened. The devastation done to the Pac-12 has absolutely come into focus this past weekend. You know, the think pieces have been written, the blame game has been played, and, and there's a ton of blame to go around, namely with the sitting and the previous commissioner. But every single one of these Pac-12 chancellors has the blood of incompetence and inaction all over their hands. And then the blood that comes with taking the money to join a conference, which is going to leave your athletic departments in the lurch in a, in a lot of ways. And student athletes like you all, every single one of you student athletes just got told the truth by the college. You don't matter. Not as much as the next TV dealer contract, your education, your athletic achievement, the ability for your family to come and watch you, to be able to get in a car, drive less than five hours to see you at a rivalry. None of that meant squadoosh when the rubber met the road. 
None of it. How embarrassing. What, what a transparent moment all at the same time. All the illusion of caring about everything other than money has vanished. Money is the only thing that mattered. You, your softball team, your volleyball team, your golf team, your baseball team, your soccer team, your water sports, your everything means nothing. And watch an awful lot of these programs start getting slashed in the name of we can't afford it. Well, but Title IX says, you know what? Doesn't matter. All the principles of everything can easily be crinkled up and thrown in the trash can. That has just been proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. Unbelievable moment in time. You know, preventable you look back at all of this and you can see that preventable was there, but preventable from all this to happen was never really the mission. Profit was the only mission. And while seeking the perfect deal, the PAC 12, its chancellors, commissioners let pretty good go passing by enough times to where now there's nothing left. There's nothing left. The four remaining schools of the Pac-12, all of them are in a lot of trouble. Now, maybe a few are in less trouble, but there is no major athletic department in the United States in more trouble today than Cal's. Cal is being told by all of the world of football, you are the runt of the litter. And if you need to be left outside to die in the rain, tough. Which is amazing because Cal's totally robust, well-rounded athletic department has never been well-run. It's never been a profit source. It's always been a point of contention in between the university and the athletic department, which means you have nothing but total ignoramus douchebags sitting at the heads of both of those tables. You know, Stanford has enough money to insulate itself against any criticism. I mean, they can literally cloak themselves in, we're too rich to care. Cal cannot do that. Cal does not have a $68 billion endowment. As a matter of fact, there's no athletic department running more in the red than Cal's in the United States, and they are lapping the field. Justin Wilcox, the first of, let's call him, the four remaining coaches in the Pac-4, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal and Stanford. Wilcox, the first to go public. ESPN got some quotes out of him. And there's no denying the significance of this, Wilcox told reporters. Um, this is from ESPN. This is as big a deal as it gets to be. Really kind of shocking, and personally, it's sad. From what I know, it's probably, it didn't need to come to this, but things happened along the way, and it's all really unfortunate. He said securing Cal's conference plan for 2024 and beyond is both urgent and important as recruits and others, all these coaches, are all concerned. You know, nobody does business around the season that they're in. It's all forward projected business. How could Justin Wilcox go into a single living room and say a single thing that is concrete, this is what it's going to be about next year? 2024, you can't. How could you put together a singular business deal? How could you put together a singular element? How many T-shirts do we need to order? I mean, there's no element of this that doesn't spell that ain't good for Cal. Not a singular element of this. There's concern everywhere. I get it. Right now, we don't have enough information to answer the questions that we're getting. And he's talking about from every direction. Now, Justin Wilcox is a, uh, you know, outside of a few moments at what? Was it Washington or not Washington? Excuse me, Wisconsin for a minute there. You know, this is a guy, he, he, he's, 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 got, he's got ties played at. Pack 12 institutions. He'd be out of his mind if he's not on his phone with his agent saying, get me out of this dying in front of me athletic department. 
brutal. Absolutely brutal. Brett McMurphy, who is a great inside resource of all college football, writes for the Action Network. He wrote, uh, how committed was the Pac-12 to staying together following last Tuesday's meeting with Commissioner George Klyakov? A Pac-12 president contacted a Big 12 president and asked the Big 12, can you take all nine of us except Oregon State and Washington State? Wow, what an underhanded, dirty slit in the throat of one of your brother plays that is. But, you know, when you're looking to get off the Titanic, I'm guessing you'll be willing to push some people over on way to the lifeboat. In meetings with Pac-12 partners in the past year, Pac-12 officials were unbelievably confident its media rights deal would be better than the Big 12s. Larry Scott and the elite presidents, they dug the grave, and then George Klyakov and his crew, they came about and finished off the deal, according to one of Brent McMurphy's sources. Everyone got caught flat-footed. Everyone. Well... Everyone except the entire assembled media that covers the league saying, this ain't right, this ain't good, this is not acceptable, you're all going to be in trouble one day. But there was a, 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 a combination of ignorance and arrogance and neglect and wishful thinking that wrapped up together, turned into a Category 5 storm of it all blown up. I mean, what is about to happen well, you got four remaining schools after this year. Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. And yesterday, it was reported that Oregon State and San Diego State are in preliminary talks with the Big 12 over the last 48 hours to come in as not full share members, but that would not only take one other remaining existing member of the Pac-4, but it would take the first candidate to be the team to come on in and maybe save the Pac illusion of anything? San Diego State would be the number one draft pick. The number one draft pick might not even be there. And this is where it really starts to get bad for Cal. The other rumor is that the Big Ten would consider Stanford as its 19th team if it could find the right 20th team to possibly pair with Stanford, and that team ain't going to be Cal. Notre Dame. That would be huge to bring in Stanford and Notre Dame. I mean, I don't know if Notre Dame, look at it this way. Notre Dame should be taking notes because their arrogance to remain an independent it, it 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 ain't it ain't good. Although Notre Dame just signed a brand new exclusive deal with NBC, ah, that is the sip of the day right there. That it just happened. It was good. Um, Notre Dame's got a new deal, so you know how quickly could you bring them in? And Stanford again. Stanford wants to pretend its pockets are deep enough to where nothing matters. Well, if you're not about to take some of that huge endowment and throw it at your athletic department, it's going to crumble, man. I don't know what to tell you. But this is officially going to be worse for Cal than even Washington State because Washington State can basically say, even though we're going to hemorrhage money, we could get on board eventually with a Mountain West feel and budget and maybe find a way to survive. A Mountain West budget means Cal needs to shut down all sports if that's all that they would have. Sportico had an incredibly crippling story to any hope you might have for the Cal Athletic Department. And the main reason why no conference in America wants a thing to do with the financial loser that Cal Athletics has been for way too long, again, by arrogance, by choice, by poorly run assholes who don't understand how this all works together. If your athletic department and your, your school's department are at war with each other, the only thing you're going to kill is each other. 
Remember, in the Civil War, the only people that died were Americans. In a war between the school and the athletic department, the only people that die are Cal Golden Bears, professors, coaches, all of you. You're in a lot of trouble. And like, I mean, if you're ready to just say we're 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 no longer sports, well, you still got to pay for a whole bunch of stuff. One of the country's largest and most successful athletic programs, Cal, is also remarkable in another way, uh, according to Sportico. No public school's athletic department has more debt than the Golden Bears, the result of what was once the most expensive capital project in NCAA history. Ticket sales and possibly TV money will drop significantly now for Cal. Cal's also losing a partner, Under Armour, trying to back out of its $86 million contract and facing a new wave of athlete activism born from football players on its own campus campus with a long list of demands cal's athletic department is 483 million dollars in debt which is 38 percent more than the next closest school debt service payments currently at 18 million will eventually jump to 37 million dollars in 2039 The payment schedule stretches into the next century. How are you going to pay any of that if you don't have any money coming in? Not money from just like, yeah, we're selling tickets to a football game and a few T-shirts, but major, major, major network deals. And you're going to be left out of what? There is no more Pac-12. You're not going to be in the Big 12. You're not coming to the Big 10. I don't even know if the Mountain West really wants you with all that debt. I mean, wow. What a reckoning. What a reckoning. You know, the question I've seen a few people start asking was, well, how does this impact men's and women's basketball? Well, you know, time will tell but i'll tell you that men's and women's basketball on all of these campuses i guess including even cal's have the best chance of achieving some level of normalcy going forward or at least whatever the new normal is about to be but the other sports the non-revenue sports you're all in major trouble. And I'm not just, I'm, this is men's and women's non-revenue sports. You're in major, major trouble. You Olympic sports, you're in major, major trouble. I saw a, uh, it was like a blog post, or I don't, I, don't, I don't even know where it came from. Like a Twitter thread that I was reading that was written by um, a few of the, the women on on a Pac-12 softball team, and I can't remember what it was UCLA's or Arizona's or whatever it was. Um, basically, they said, you know, one of the reasons why we chose to come to this school was because one, it's in our hometown, and two, my parents can come and see me play, and three, they can just drive a few hours in another direction and see me play there too. Who? Who is flying to Piscataway for that UCLA, Rutgers, women's, anything? Who's going to be doing that? They're in trouble. All in a lot of trouble. You know, the changing media landscape is officially the rug that got pulled out from underneath everybody's meal. But the meal was cooked incorrectly before it even hit the plate on the table that the the tablecloth just got ripped out from underneath. I get rug, tablecloth, you know what I mean. The changing media landscape, by the way, is so savage, it's officially coming for the NFL too. Now, the NFL is going to be able to absorb things a little bit better, but the uh, uh, lack of linear television, I mean, you can see TV dying. Cable television will die. 
in our lifetimes. There will be like no cable TV in our lifetimes. That's pretty much going to happen. Certainly nothing major remaining there. NFL Network. NFL Network. A decade ago, it was in 72 million homes. The NFL Network has never had that massive, massive clearance. It always hoped for, you know, we're going to be in 100 million homes just like ESPN used to be. It was never quite there. But still, 72 million homes a decade ago, pretty darn good. Now they're just down to 51 million homes. The NFL Network is being distributed in only 51 million homes. And Mike Florio said, just since the start of last season, the league owned broadcasting channel lost another 5 million homes. It's not specific necessarily to NFL Network. Just more and more people are dumping cable and more and more people are relying on streaming services for their entertainment. And oh, by the way, Amazon is now giving you more NFL games than NFL Network. And if you want to sign up for what? NFL Plus? NFL Plus? <laughs> if you want to sign up for NFL Plus, well, guess what you don't get there? NFL games. Why would you pay for it? What are you going to pay for highlights? It's been a big failure. Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal writes, the drop in household comes after NFL Network set multiple records in 2022 for early morning games from Europe. But the net impact on NFL Network was negative overall, given the surrendered previously exclusive Thursday night games to Amazon. Again, you had some of the best ratings in the history of your network, but the overall net positive is a negative because you gave away all those 13 or 15, whatever it is, 16, 17, however many Thursday night games you get. You gave that away, gave it away for a handsome price, but a handsome price at the behest of your own network, is that worth paying? I don't know. Obviously, they're, you know, their bean counter said, go ahead and do it. But, you know, if you lost the NFL network, you'd be worried about good morning football being gone before anything else. What, do you get that morning game from London between the Cleveland Browns and Jaguars? Like, whatever. We can just get the highlights of that one. Tennessee Titans. Bwah, bwah. Who cares? So, woof, the landscape of sports, I mean, it's, it's shifting, unbelievable. Oh, oh, one more thing, if I could just go back to Cal for just a moment. If you're actually asking, like, what would be the thing to end Cal athletics, don't let that Hayward fault slip. Dude, if Hayward fault slips and that stadium cracks in half, there's no money to rebuild it. It's done. So Cal is an earthquake away from maybe never playing another football game in Berkeley ever again or anywhere ever again or the athletic department functioning ever again. So, you know, don't let the guaranteed to happen one day earthquake happen because that would be it, folks. That would be lights out. Speaking of lights out, we'll get to Tim Anderson in just a bit from the <laughs> Chicago White Sox. But uh, I, I, look, I, I want to say something about the U.S. women's soccer team. I want to admit to you, though, before I say I, I didn't watch a lick of USA women's soccer. Actually, that's not true. I watched that opening match a little bit of it anyways because um, it was in the afternoon on a Saturday on Fox and it was easy to find. But I'm not waking up to watch men's world cup soccer much less women's world cup soccer i'm not a soccer fan i don't care what gender is playing soccer i vote no on soccer you know the 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 messy thing going on pretty interesting but i vote no on soccer i'm just not a soccer fan I'm not going to apologize we're allowed to like and dislike what we're allowed to, what we like and dislike um there's so much nonsense being offered up as to why the women's soccer team fell short this World Cup and got knocked out quickly. And 
look, even though I didn't watch a lick of it, I know exactly what happens. I know exactly what happened. And I'll tell it to you. Again, even without watching any of it, let me tell you what happened. First of all, it's got absolutely nothing to do with the concept of woke or anthem protests or what some people say is a lack of patriotism from a bunch of lesbians. You know, I mean, there's some real venom being spat at the U.S. women's soccer team. And then there's like some tactical criticism from former members of the U.S. women's soccer team trying to explain away while this was, this isn't a good team, this wasn't a good team. And maybe that has something to do with it. They weren't well-coached. They weren't well-prepared. They weren't well-planned. And they were ill-conceived. And it just didn't work out. You better hope that's what it is. But that's not what it is. I know what it is. Because I saw the exact same thing happen to USA Basketball. It just took much longer to catch up to world basketball, the world to catch up to USA Basketball. But it caught up. And guess what? In a much shorter amount of time, the world caught up to women's soccer too. You know, everyone talked about how dominant the women's U.S. soccer team was. And I got to tell you, a big portion of that was they started taking soccer, women's soccer, seriously before the rest of the world did. When um, Brandy Chastain scored her you know, iconic goal where she showed you the sports bra, Leading right up to that moment, I don't think there was another country really taking women's soccer seriously. So this dominance that you saw had an awful lot to do with a total laissez-faire. We really don't care about it. Women's soccer world. Now, a few teams did and start to care about it, but not enough to really threaten or whittle down what the women might do overall in a tournament. Like, tournament on, it's the U.S. Women's Invitational, and they're probably going to go ahead and win it. Well, they don't live in that world anymore. The world caught up. The world caught up, and it took like 40 years for the world to catch up to Team USA basketball. It took like 20 years for the world to catch up to, to women's soccer. And the United States has... Definitely a rabid interest, which has forwarded the advancement of the women's soccer program. And maybe this really was just a bad off one year and, you know, they get back to the next World Cup and they win that one. And you can just say, well, you know, 2023 was a blip in time and it was a bad team. If the world keeps on catching up in this sport of soccer, how much longer will it take to even surpass the United States in soccer? Cause that's what every country that takes soccer seriously does. I remember watching uh, a, a women's Olympic soccer game in Brazil and Brazil was playing in like an 80,000 seat stadium. And it looked like there were 15,000 fans in the stands. And I was like, damn, that's Brazil hosting an Olympic women's soccer game. And it just shows you how little Brazil really cares about Marta and Brazilian women's soccer. You know, you'd have dudes sitting on each other's shoulders for the men's team, but women's team, no one really cared. Uh, America decided we are going to care about this. And it created this illusion of dominance, which again, was closed quickly with practice as the world got better. It happened in basketball. And that's what happened here. This isn't, this isn't about Megan Rapinoe's hair color or sexuality or anthem protests or woke anything. You know, politics is what swirls all around the game before the actual game starts taking place. And then once you're in between the lines, the only thing that matters is what's in between the lines and who's in between those lines. All that noise around everything dies instantly. So outplayed, out-hustled, out-coached. I just think that the several lap lead that the United States women have enjoyed for decades has been reduced to the car behind you is on your bumper. And as a matter of fact, this particular lap around the track, you got passed. Um, even though the United States women's soccer team 
has a lot of people saying, well, that's embarrassing. Um, no one in sports was more embarrassed than Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox over this weekend. And as someone who grew up rooting for the Chicago Cubs, um, that was great. Uh, has he left the city of Chicago yet? Has he left the United States? That's also an option. He should really consider, you know, uh, uh, maybe even immediate retirement. Like there is nothing Tim Anderson can ever do in his career now where him getting chin checked by Jose Ramirez isn't the very first thing we will think about for the rest of his career and his life. It's well, I don't want to speak for everybody, me. There's nothing he can ever do to where I won't think of that first. When everyone says, Tim Anderson, what do you think? And be like, Oh, he got knocked out by Jose Ramirez and it wasn't a sucker punch. He straight up dropped his glove and squared up. I mean, he put up the Dukes, literally put up the Dukes. And he got knocked out. Oh, in front of his family. Apparently his family was there too. Oh, I mean, it's one thing to get sucker punched. Anyone getting sucker punched when you're not defending yourself has a chance to get knocked out. And as embarrassing as it might seem, believe me, if you get knocked out as a result of a sucker punch, you got nothing to be embarrassed about because you didn't see it coming. You weren't ready for it. And therefore, how can anything be held against you if you weren't even ready for the sucker punch? Again, he bowed up, he squared up, he measured the moment, and he got dropped. Well, he didn't see the hand coming. Well, tough. Tough. If you didn't see it, you shouldn't be fighting. You can't bow up, square up, and then say, oh, I didn't see it coming. And then to not be in the lineup the very next day, that's the ultimate bitch move. It really is. And I, you know, I don't want to hear about it was a scheduled day off. You got to storm into your manager's office and demand to be back in the lineup because if you don't, you're going to look like the biggest puss in the world. So that was super weak. And now all of a sudden, what? He's got Big Vaughn, a slain rapper who killed those who offended him. And then he got killed and all this stuff. And he's about to say, like, I'm going to handle Jose Ramirez. No, you ain't. You're not going to do anything but tweet about it, dude. And if you do, uh, shame on you. I mean, come on. Come on. You know, don't act like you got the squabbles in you when you got the squabbles knocked out of you. Stop it. Stop it. Your Twitter fingers are embarrassing you further. You know what you should do when you get humiliated? You should shut up. What is it? When you win, say little. When you lose, say even less. There should be some of that in play. There should be some of that in play. So Tim Anderson had the worst weekend in sports in the United States but maybe not in the entire world. And I'm not looking at the women who got bounced from their soccer tournament. I'm talking about, and this is our final story of the day, The Guardian, which is a newspaper over in England, said that at least 57 people fell ill with sickness and diarrhea after competing in a sea swimming event at the World Triathlon Championship Series in Sunderland. Health officials confirmed that this past weekend. The event was on a stretch of coastline that has been at the center of a long-running battle over sewer discharges between campaigners and the government concerning regulatory failures. So let me get this straight. You have an entire coastline of a country to choose where we're going to have the aquatic portion of this triathlon, and you choose the stretch of coastline that is having sewage issues? I mean, who planned that triathlon? Pac-12 commissioners? Jacob Bertwistle which is a great name, Jacob Bertwistle, a 28-year-old Australian triathlete, posted on the Envir Environmental Agency's results to Instagram, saying that he had felt unwell after the event, writing, I've been feeling pretty rubbish since the race, but I guess that's what happens when you swim in poop. The swim should have been canceled. Yes, you can also make the decision, I'm not swimming in this, but 57 people basically get E. coli, which means you're swimming in crap. So 
That's what you get for exercising. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, another athlete said, at least I know where I got me, or at least I know what got me. And a bunch of other athletes who race and are sick and ill. That now explains why I spent Monday night with my head in the toilet after racing on Sunday morning. Yeah, because you, you raced through a body of water that was the result of people putting their butts in toilets. That is disgusting. So again, Tim Anderson got knocked out. And the girls, uh, they got knocked out, but at least nobody got crap on them. So you got that going for you. Pac-12, some of you are covered in crap. Let's be totally honest. So there you go, boys and girls. Thank you back here on a Monday. Thanks to all of you who came to Club Plus in real life. Thanks again to Victory Hall, my sponsors, Ike's, Blackened, and Uncle Boys. It was unfortunate Uncle Boys couldn't be there. I'm sure it'll be at the next one. It was wonderful having so many of you. And the reason why I'm not mentioning all of you by name is because it's just in my mind to forget to include a name. But I will never forget any of you who came out to support me. And oh, by the way, I kept score of who wasn't there. Let's just say an entire former station could have shown up to support their boy and his new venture. Not a, not a soul. All right. Notes. I made them. I made them. Look, all I can tell you is that this show will dominate this city and the people who were at Victory Hall on Saturday, you are the army that we will win this war with. So thank you so very, very much. Thanks for your love. Again, one more ah, sip of the day directed at you with a deep, deep, deep thanks for being a part of something that meant so much to me and my family. What we're going to do now is hop into the chat and oh my god there's so much chatting on today we are we 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 got to scroll the way down and then work our way back up and I'm sure I missed an awful lot of your uh beautiful beautiful uh just I mean really there's been nothing but sweet words and wonderful uh, people who came had a really good time that's what I cared about. I hope people would have a really good time. It was great to meet all of you. It was great to meet. It was great to watch all of you interacting with each other in real life for the very first time. It was awesome. And I thank you so very, very much. I really do from the bottom of my heart, from my family's heart. Thank you. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you wherever you're listening from. Hopefully, you'll be able to make it to Plus Mania 2 wherever and whenever that is. But we are going to do another one. I can promise you that. Plus Mania 1 was such a smashing success. There would be no reason to stop it now. Thank you all so very much. And please do remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone.